but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> There's plenty to talk about here. Pick something. Let's get started. Okay. Here's what I want to know. I need you guys. I don't need you guys, but I'm curious. I'd like you guys. You guys are more knowledgeable about this than I am on the regulations about experimental home building. Um, and 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 so here's my basic question, and then I'll come to the real question. The basic question is, legally, in terms of regulation, if I built an airplane that, and assuming I was knowledgeable and was able to do it safely and wisely and whatnot, if I built an airplane in my garage totally from scratch, from my head, all right, and wanted to go fly it, is it legal for me to fly that airplane, or is there... How, how does the certification, is, does the Fed get involved with wanting to approve it? or How does that work? How much does it weigh? Uh, let's just, I, I don't know, but it's small. It, you know, I, I'm more concerned, you know, curious about, about, about you know, t- to the extent that the government gets into safety and, and workmanship and things like that. Can I build an airplane and go flying? Well... Yeah. If it weighs, if it weighs more than two hundred and fifty-four pounds empty, or holds more than one person, or more than five gallons of gas, you're going to need uh, an airworthiness. You're going to need airworthiness paperwork from the FAA. Okay, uh, that's where the experimental amateur built certification comes into play. Uh, they're they're going to want to inspect it. They're not going to testify that it's airworthy. Right. I'm just going to testify that it's built soundly into more or less aviation standards. Whether it's airworthy is what you get to find out on the first flight. <laughs> but uh, and and you know, with kits being the way they are today, m- most of those first flights come out fine. And since the EAA and the AOPA identified first flights as a uh, big problem in the EAB community a few years ago, uh, there's been a lot of work done to improve the safety of first flights uh, by getting the pilots better prepared for mm-hmm. for that particular aircraft or getting them to uh, fly some duel with somebody that has a similar or identical airplane. Mm-hmm. But you're going to need somebody from the uh, uh, FAA, your local FAA office to, to come down. You're going to have to make an appointment. It's going to cost you some money. And they're going to come, and they're going to spend a considerable amount of time not only looking at the airplane and the way it goes together, but looking at the record that you created when you were building it so that they can be sure that you built it. Okay. And, and then, so, and yeah. then you uh, apply, you know, what's more or less normal experimental flight test techniques. You start out with taxiing, slow taxi, then faster taxi, and then eventually you got it all in hand. Everything checks out the... The uh, flaps and ailerons come to the same position when you put the stick or yoke in neutral. Mm-hmm. Uh, the weight and balance is all worked out. Uh, you got an appropriate amount of fuel for a first flight, and you go charging off like Orville and Wilbur right. down the sand dunes at Kitty Hawk. Okay, so that's interesting. The way the, those examples that you just gave are, are kind of interesting in the context of my actual question. All right, because my actual question has to do. So one of the things that we discovered, and we talked about this on on some episode during Oshkosh, um, was that we were seeing a lot 
of multi-copter, multi-rotor um, programs that are under development, electric-powered multi-copter programs, some of them human-carrying, some of them autonomous, and so forth and so on. So you know, a lot of them. And that got me to thinking, why have we not seen, because I don't think there's any real rocket science involved here, why have we not seen somebody build in their garage a six-rotor, onboard human pilot carrying multi-copter? All right? I've kind of wondered about that myself. And, and, and I was wondering whether it's a regulation thing, all right? Would it not be legal to build such a thing and fly it? Um, it's, some of them have been built and carried humans. They, uh-huh. they just haven't uh, burst into the uh, uh, public consciousness all that much because they were developmental machines or they were trying out a concept. Uh, but there have been some flown in, uh, I know, Germany uh, and other parts of Europe. Uh, and here in the states, uh, but that gets into multi-engine issues that I don't think anybody has completely broached yet. And the flying that I've, I'm, I'm talking about here has been usually not out of ground effect, uh, maybe hovering and going across a field within ground effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ground effect in this case, I calculate to be based on the diameter of the multi-rotor assembly, you know, not the diameter of the r- propeller blades themselves. Right. That right. would wouldn't be tiny. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's been done, it's being done, uh, and there's quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit of closed door R&D going into this. Uh, by but multiple. there aren't any personal you know like and and you're right i guess there have been programs that have test flown multi-copters how about an individual working out of his garage that's kind of what i'm excited well some of these have been individuals they just haven't gotten a lot of press or actually sought a lot of press out of it uh why you'd have to ask them okay well i'm gonna i've occasionally seen a video of a guy flying you know like a eight rotor machine built around uh, uh, an ultralight type structure where since it's under the weight limit it's not regulated although there's a debate on whether the multi multi motor multi blade thing is fits in the spirit of the ultralights because there were a couple of ultralights back in the day that had twin engines Mm -hmm. and they were allowed to fly as part 103 ultralights now, the laser was my favorite. It was had an inverted V-tail in the back, uh, high wing, and cl- cabin was enclosed in Tedlar. It was clear. Uh, two little tiny, I think, eight-horsepower engines, uh, and it flew great, and you could shut the engines down and soar it. The one thing you couldn't do is fly it on one engine. If you lost an engine, the uh, prescribed mode for your upcoming landing was to shut down the other one, too, because it didn't have enough rudder to keep it straight with one motor going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm just... Yeah I, 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 um, yeah, I mean, I've seen, as David has, um, videos of, uh, let's call them developmental um, person carrying a multi-rotor uh, um, aerial vehicles, for lack of a better phraseology. Um, certainly certification is a thing, 
and the FAA has been been pressed for some time to come up with a, a definition of 103 ultralight that uh, recognizes electric power um, based on the fuel and uh, uh, the, the five gallon and you know maybe can we also get an allowance for batteries because they're freaking heavy um, that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, I one of the questions I think you're asking is why hasn't um, the autonomous brain of a DJI Phantom been scaled up kind of yeah yeah I, I get that question and I'm kind of curious about that too I think the quick answer is it has been um, certainly for, for military, uh, operations, um, I think you're going to see, um, more evidence of that in the civilian markets, but I'm kind of curious as to, again, also why we haven't seen more of it. One of the things that strikes me about some of this is, um, for lack of a better word, crashworthiness. Um, you got all, all these blades, uh, whirling blades, literally, all around this craft, mm-hmm. um, and you got a human uh, above it or below it, or somehow you know uh, juxtaposed. How do you? Um, I don't know. On its face, it seems rather uh, um, uh, lacerating, shall we say? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, there, there, yeah, there are issues. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, maybe you know, for those reasons alone, people have shied away from trying to scale these things up. But I, I, you know, yes, they certainly have been. I gotta think, and once uh, maybe some some power issues, battery technology issues are resolved. Um, I don't mean regulatorily either. I mean uh, through technology development. Yeah, and, yeah right. Yeah. Um, Maybe we can maybe we'll see more of that. Maybe. I I, I kind of wonder if it's you know okay you want to put a human or two humans on one of these things. Now and, and now let's let's take a step or two back. There's people you know screaming at their at their uh, radios or their iPods. Um, you know Uber what? Uber for example yeah well. says it's going to do this and it's going to do this within a couple of years or something like that. Yeah. I don't know what their what latest time frame is. Um, so. You know, either either they're blowing sunshine, uh, they're blowing smoke up our skirts, or um, they've got something in the back in the works in the back room. Well, yeah, I don't and, know. You know, Uber, and, not yeah. that not that a, a Silicon Valley company would ever blow smoke up our skirts. No, no, no. But um, I don't know. Anyways, I, I was just yeah. you know again going back to my original and the question I want to continue to explore a little bit is why have we not seen any what I'm characterizing as experimental home built. Um, you know, uh, uh, human-carrying multi-copters. Because the maker world is filled with people who are building, you know, um, scale, you know, um, uh, drones, basically, all right? But drones are not all DJI. There's all kinds of people building drones from scratch. Send them a copy of Part 103. Yeah, I know, huh? Okay. There's one guy in particular on YouTube named Peter Sripol. Uh, Sripol. He's uh, he was actually people know he brought his fixed wing home built to uh, Oshkosh last year. It was made out of foam core. Um, so uh, 
anyways, um, I want him to build one of these. So, all right. Well, that's, well, well, that's well, more you know, than... Reach out to him and say, uh, you know, I want to work with you on this. Why haven't you done this? Yeah, yeah. I know. Well, okay. All right. He, he'll, well, and he'll well, laugh well. hysterically and, and hang <laughs> yeah, out. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> David, go ahead. And we're gonna, yeah, well, David? One of the things that's kind of up in the air and, 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 and so does could speak. have an effect on this, particularly at the Part 103 end, is uh, how do how to weigh the how to rate the battery weight against the fuel weight right. that right. you'd have right there uh, there and that's was my question is is the is the speed bump here regulatory or is it is or is it what you know? it, well and, it, it it perhaps would be for part 103 that yeah, doesn't yeah. necessarily mean it would be for right. an experimental amateur build right right yeah okay it, and uh, I'm just going to take a, a dive, a short dive off a shallow pier or into shallow yeah, water. Okay, David. It's really I, early in the morning, but we I, get I, what you're I, saying. Go ahead, yeah. I, I think some of the reason why I haven't seen this is because people that are interested in building are more interested in flying than experimenting. So they're focusing on stuff that they know will work and not trying to break new ground. That said, we know there's guys out there experimenting with this. Like Jeb said, he's seen we, we've seen video of some of this. But they're not really pursuing these things to the point of, mm-hmm. you know, flying off to the $100 hamburger on Saturday morning in your home built. They're more like, flying across the backyard in your home built and not getting out of the uh not getting out of your home airspace uh, and i think partly because they don't have to run it past the faa if they're not going anywhere mm-hmm. oh yeah there's if it, it, it technically they should be technically they would be required to be if they get you know 50 feet off the ground but that's they're, they're just playing Mm-hmm. Uh, the, okay. the people that want to fly want to fly. Hence, the huge shift over the last twenty years from kits that were a box full of raw materials, instructions, and instructions on which piece to bend which way, to kits where the majority of the parts are pre-made and it's bun burger bun. You clico it together. You get the engine in and you're off to the races in a fraction of the time uh there's a guy on the sonex website right now who's scratch building uh his airplane and it's amazing how fast his progress is he's scratch building i don't know what else he does Uh (laughs) yeah Yeah, right right but but wait a minute he's scratch building is that means does sonex provide plans yeah oh yeah you can buy plans i didn't know that i thought they just had you know kits if you will Okay. No, you can you can buy plans and and the plans give you the license to build one. No, I so understand like that part. If, yeah. You know, presuming I finish my airplane someday, I can't hand them off to somebody else and no, let I, them build another one off of it. Yeah, Each set of plans has thing. a serial cool. number. Yeah. Anyways, listeners, if you know of if you are building um, a, a, a an experimental home built multicopter, or if you know anybody who is, I'd like to hear about this. Um, so uh, send us an email or something like that. Anyways, 
I think you that's know, enough. Your, your your local FAA guy would like to hear about it also. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, okay. All right. Your, your I, local well, FISDO know, inspector I, would be very interested to learn. I'm about a journalist. That. There are ways that you can let me know about this anonymously. We'll talk about that later on. Anyways, and speaking, I don't know what. Speaking of anonymous, I don't know. Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Ooh, Aviation Podcast. Wow, we finally what? got there. Yeah, I know. Uh, and uh, I'm Jack Hodgson, uh, coming to you from uh, from the uh, banks of the Cochico River in uh, Dover, New Hampshire, uh, talking here in our virtual hangar with my two good friends. Um, we've already had a lot. You folks have heard us talking now for about 15 minutes. We actually have been talking for like an hour because we had a little board meeting prior to this. So we're kind of like talked out a little bit almost, but uh, but we're getting back into it here. And I'm talking to my two good friends uh, from, uh, let's see now, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida is uh, Jeb Burnside. How you doing, Jeb? I'm fine. Fine as frog fur. Um, um, just got the... September issue of Aviation Safety in the can. and Congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, long couple of weeks here with uh, with Oshkosh and, mm-hmm. and deadlines and, and uh, what to leave in, what to leave out. Uh, and uh, now I'm, you know, I've returned for the monsoon season. So, uh, Is it raining down there? Oh, it's, it, yesterday right. morning, you know, yeah. or, I don't know, eight-ish or something, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. Mm-hmm. By 1030, um, it started and it didn't let up. You know, just shower after shower, st- storm after storm until dark. And uh, today, right now, you know, kind of had the same start, but I see some blue sky and some white clouds outside. Uh, but as I lean my head back and forth and get further and closer to the microphone, um, I see uh, where it, we're going to have some fun today, too. Oh, really? So, yeah. Yeah, okay. it's, it's summer in Florida. We had our fun last night. We had some big thunderstorms up here last night. Um, so last time we saw you, uh, we were saying goodbye to you out in the North 40 at Oshkosh yes. um, late on Friday morning. You actually made it home in, in the, that same day. I did. Uh, how had any, any, any adventures there? No, or? not really. Um, I had to take kind of a little bit of, well, I had to take a dog leg um, coming out of my planned fuel stop in Georgia uh, rather than come straight down the peninsula of uh, Florida. Um, I uh, dogleg out to the southwest and came down the Gulf Coast. Uh, there were just a lot of storms over the over the central area, over the central part of the state, and I just didn't want to deal with them. I, mm-hmm. um, it, it starts to get um, you start to get into uh, uh, airspace challenges. The further south you get on the peninsula, you got uh, Jacksonville, you got Orlando, you got Tampa. And you can't just take 20, 20 left or something like that for a hundred miles and not have somebody get exercised about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the better part of Allard was just go around to the west, and it worked right. out worked out fine. Yeah. So one gas stop, and then you got home. It was after dark, but it was it was after dark, crazy but late. It, right? Yeah, it was nine fifteen. It yeah. Wasn't, yeah, it wasn't, That's wasn't bad pretty at impressive, all. actually. I, I think so too. I mean, it's over a thousand miles uh, nonstop uh, from here to to Oshkosh. Um, and um, you know, I it was you know six or seven hours uh, of uh, of flying, maybe I don't yeah yeah six hours maybe both ways. Um, you know, it's a long day, uh, but it's a very efficient mode of transportation. Yeah, worked well, worked well. And my other good friend here in the virtual hangar from uh, the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas, is uh, Dave Higdon. Good morning, David. How are you? So far, so far. It's uh, raining there too, right? Yeah, yeah. Like so, you were saying, it's raining crazy hard, right? We're, uh, we're the, the progs for today are often on thunderstorms all day and into the evening. So, 
kind of scotching my plans to uh, go out and dance naked in the yard. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for that. I, 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 there's got to be some technological problem with our gear this morning. I, I, I could have heard something. God, never mind. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I know. Really, it's gonna st- it's gonna fester. It's gonna stick it's, with us. Uh, yeah, what else is going on, David? How's everything? You well, also made it home in one day, right? Yes, I did. Uh, you dr- driving? You made it home in one day, and uh, yeah, how'd that go? Uh, well, uh, you and I and uh, Jim G came off the uh, uh, announcer's stand about eleven o'clock Sunday morning, final day of uh, Air Venture twenty nineteen. Uh, Back at uh, Sheyu Cap, I finished throwing junk into the back of my Honda Element, had the hugs and kisses, see you next year's, and pulled out of the uh, campground at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, pulled into my driveway here in Wichita Monday morning at 2.30. Uh, yeah. 13, 13 and a half hours. Did, did you have someone with you to spell the driving? Uh, nothing, but I did get the company of, uh, severe weather starting just south of the, uh, Missouri-Kansas line coming down 35 that continued to get worse and stormier and rainier for the next three hours all the way into my driveway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was the most alert of the whole bloody drive the last three and a half hours. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I uh, and I I on the other hand didn't do it in one day. In fact, I took me better part of 3 days. I left also left uh uh Camp Scholler on uh on uh, Sunday afternoon and uh and just got down past Chicago that first day. I drove down there and overnighted in uh, northern Indiana. Um and then did a big day's drive on uh, on Monday, got to upstate New York and then motored on home. Um actually took a uh a scenic route and came a different different route through northern Massachusetts, an area that I've never driven through. Very pretty. But uh, anyways, we're all home. Um, and uh, we got a lot of things on the list here. Any final thoughts on Oshkosh? Anything uh, that uh, you know, we kind of... Let's do it again. Let's yeah, do it let's again. Do, let's do it again. All right. There's a lot of our I'm, conversation before the episode was uh, uh, things that we did that we, we may or may not do again. But more on that later on. David, go ahead. I'm going to keep doing it until I get it right. okay that could be a thing anyways all right uh follow-ups here we've got a couple of follow-ups um let's see now uh one of the things we kept talking about or i i don't know i kept bringing it up um at oshkosh was um a a design element of in this particular case i believe it was the big um the big uh uh boeing 747 that they had on the on the uh, central ramp there and i was i was noticing at the trailing edge of the engines, there was this sort of sawtooth design to the to the trailing edge of the engine and the cells. Scalloping. Um, scalloping. And, and I was wondering what that was all about, if it was just fashion or did it have some function. And we've heard from a couple of different people. Um, and the, the, the uh, example I've put in our list here is from uh, uh, fellow podcaster Max Flight. Um, who writes what I heard from a number of different people that basically um, it's sound, um, it's it's all about sound noise reduction, um, and apparently the uh, the the scalloping um, does something because what happens is that you've got the hot air uh, exhaust out of the engine and then you've got the forced air from the big fan, and and as they reach the back of the engine they they remix they rejoin, um, and if they just 
remix naturally, that makes a lot of turbulence, which makes a lot of noise. And the scalloping does something to minimize the turbulence as they remix. And so it's noise related. Uh, you guys have any other thoughts on this? I just kind of wanted to follow no, up on that because that we, we were re- asking that question. It sounds yeah. as reasonable as anything. I, I, I don't know if we discussed it as in my presence, but yeah, I was kind of aware all the time that it was an acoustic thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I, we, that, yeah, and I think you mentioned that when we talked about it. But you know, again, I heard from a couple. I just wanted to pass along that yeah. I heard from a couple of different listeners um, who all agreed um, that yeah, it's sound. If you uh, dove in, if you dove head first into a non-running, please mm-hmm, high yeah. bypass ratio turbofan. Uh, a lot of what you'd see inside is there to deaden sound, to absorb noise. Uh, you also find that that big fan up in front dwarfs the actual size of the core engine behind it. Uh, by comparison, the core engine back there behind the the intake fan is tiny, uh, and it's running that big bypass fan because it provides essentially free thrust by sucking in more air than the mm-hmm. engine needs for combustion and channeling it through uh, uh, parts of the nacelle that help deaden the noise, absorb that noise, and then spit it out the back as free thrust. Mm-hmm. Uh you do not want to do that while the engine's running. No. Oh, yeah. It will it will give you a a crew cut like you've never seen before. Yeah, right. Right. All right, so there's that. Um let's see now. Uh, uh, uh a new subject here. Um I, I you you may be surprised to hear um the the Boeing 730 Max 737 Max is still grounded. Um it's uh, uh, valiantly fl- holding on in its fight to remain grounded. That's <laughs> yes, exactly right. <coughs> so, uh, Generalissimo Francisco Franco is still go. dead. There you go. Um, I, you know, I mean, I don't even know what to say about this, but um, there, there's been some news in the last couple of days about uh, about the redesign. It sounds like Boeing's done a major, major rewrite of this software, which makes me nervous. But you guys have any thoughts on this whole thing and or reports? Yeah, my my reaction. I I keep coming back to the question: Could all of this not been avoided if Boeing had just informed and trained and let anybody, everybody, in on the big secret that it has this new system that didn't seem to be in the training syllabus, that didn't seem to be in the sims. and then everybody's surprised, like, "Wow!" But it, that's it, it. It didn't behave the way we intended to, and you guys didn't know how to deal with it. Uh, yeah, well, duh. Tell us about it next time. Yeah, there's a lot of that, and and, and I think rightfully so. Um, going back to what to how Jack brought this up, I'm probably seeing the same reports you're seeing, which basically are saying that Boeing is rewriting all of the flight control software for the Max uh, versions, Max variants. And I don't know if that's something that's gotten lost in the translation. I don't know if that's uh, a reasonably true statement. I don't know. And, and I'm, you know, I haven't really paid that much attention to the sourcing on any of this. So I don't know if Boeing is saying that or if others are saying that. 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and, 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 you know, as a software guy, that kind of really raised the flags. Yeah, for me. it would me too. I, I, you know, how, how not fully baked was this airplane? Sounds like pretty not fully baked, but that's just totally based on my reading of the media. Um, I don't know. Anyways, so it's just progressing, right? They're just trying it's, to do it, and they're the, apparent. The, you yeah. know, the only the only other metric I've seen on this because I just can't deal with some of the, the mass media coverage. But the only other metric I've seen here is where I think I don't know which carrier it was, but one carrier basically had, had hinted that. It did not plan for its maxes to be back in service until sometime in 2020. Yeah, first, uh, yeah, that's what I'm. I mean, again, based on the media, um, yeah, after the first of the year is what I've heard too. It's crazy. I mean, it's just crazy. All right. Well, yeah. Moving on. <clears throat> um, so, ADSB privacy. Um, there's a whole bunch of stories that I've seen in in the last week or so about the subject of ADSB privacy. David, you kind of, you, you, you quoted uh, uh, one of these AOPA uh, e-pilot e- aviation e-brief polls that they do, which I've always thought are kind of half-baked, but it, it is kind of interesting. Why did you call our attention to that? Do you remember? Well, because it's apt to be a driver in, uh, in changing how some of these systems work. Like right now, the 1090ES has going into anonymous mode is more complicated, than it, and uh, from what I understand, than it is for a universal access transceiver. But what I was most interested in was looking at how widespread the privacy concern is among a broad general aviation population. And much to my surprise, the, uh, the, the people that answered yes on this non-scientific poll mm-hmm. was uh, 45.73% said they are concerned about their privacy. And over 50% said they weren't. Uh, 4% said that it wasn't applicable to them because they fly VFR using anonymous mode with a universal access transceiver. Uh, Now, this privacy thing has been a big deal in business aviation for years. And uh, NBAA, NATA, AOPA all lobbied hard for uh, the FAA to create a way for people to not show up in things like flight aware. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then along comes ADSB, which is transmitted over a public frequency. It's broadcast in, in, in the live where anybody can pick it up. And there is a, uh, a code that ADSB broadcasts and it can be used to identify the aircraft. So now we're back into that area of concern where business executives and government officials with security, genuine security concerns are uh, wondering how this is going to play out. Uh, Their concern levels I would rate as higher than the average GA pilot because some of these folks travel with bodyguards. They travel in uh, limos with armored windows. And they want that same level of security extended to their ADSB transmissions. Right. So we're 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 not 
there yet in terms of a, a an easy solution for the uh, for the 1090ES for the folks that use universal access transceivers, which is not going to be many of the business aviation folks because UAT eligibility stops at flight level 180, 18,000 feet. And most of the turbine aircraft that these guys fly aren't happy flying that low because they consume fuel prodigiously. They like to get up, well, basically as high as they can get ATC to let them go and the engines will still function. Uh, the higher they go, the greater the fuel efficiency and so on, and, and usually the higher the airspeed up to a certain point. But that's 1090ES territory, and they work continu- the work continues to find a way to let these folks opt out of being of, of broadcasting identifiable code. And there's a, a, a random code generation process that's in the works that I don't think has quite come to fruition, but that's what it's look like, looking like it's going to be. Really? So that's, is this related to this AOPA story about uh, clarifying the requirements for using anonymous mode? It is. Yeah, they're related. Okay. Because um, what, what I'm, what you were describing sounds like a, a broader issue than what I'm if I'm reading this correctly, that um, they were just trying to figure out whether you can go into anonymous mode when you're on a VFR flight plan, but outside of rule out airspace. Um, yeah, and that's that's nobody's nobody's really fighting over that. They just want to be able to do it, right? Uh, and so you're saying the bigger question is whether or not. So are you suggesting that 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 business aviation is going to get the right to go into anonymous mode, um, even when they're like on an IFR plan? Yeah. And, uh, and or when they're in rural airspace. Yes. Okay. So and the be, FAA, the FAA will still know who they are. Well, okay, then it won't be anonymous mode. That's my question. It it won't be. It'll be anonymous uh, on a public, right? In the public scope. Yeah. Okay. You and I can't look at. Won't be able to look it up on sure. flight aware. Sure. But my understanding but, about uh, anonymous mode is anonymous mode. It, 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 you can truly become anonymous. That your airplane won't transmit an identifiable code. Jeb, it sounds like you're trying to jump in here. Um, I'm not that familiar with the UAT anonymous mode um, uh, capabilities. Um, the problem is even if, I think this is the problem that the NBAA types have, and, and I don't disagree with it in that I have the same basic technology. Um they can block their in numbers on the ASDI feed, which is um, aircraft situational display information, or what I don't remember what the I stands for. But um, that's the feed that it used to be the case that vendors like FlightAware and and FlightRadar24 offered. Mm-hmm. Now, with the proliferation of ADSB. Um, Anybody with an appropriate trans, I'm sorry, anybody with an appropriate receiver mm-hmm. can receive data from an ADSB compliant uh, aircraft. Um, the trick is that data is broadcast in clear text. It's, right. it's just ASCII characters with basically your end number or something comparable. There, in, I don't, I don't know exactly what the data packet looks like. Right. But yes, but, is the yeah. quick answer. Um, one of the things that. Um, NBAA is interested in, I think, is encryption of that data. 
Hmm. Okay. So that the FAA would be able to decode it. Right. The would the data would still flow through the ASD. Um, but Joe Schmo with an appropriate receiver would not understand would not. the data. Would not. Okay. Would not understand the data received. So because he or she didn't have the decryption codes. Right. So I don't know where all that's going to go. I don't know how you how you make encryption optional. I guess you could, uh, but that just seems fraught with with uh, problems. So one of the directions this could go is the wholesale encryption of ADSB out data. That brings up the question of how are you going to do that at the the aircraft equipment level uh, without a software upgrade? Well, you're not. Yeah, I don't think so. Pretty sure, unless that, it's built that, in there already. And that gets into all other kinds of uh, you know it, just, it gets a little bit hairy before the smoke clears. So uh, it's 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 a valid concern on the part of many many operators, uh, myself included, to from the standpoint that um, I used to. Uh, have my in number blocked on on ASD and, mm-hmm. and uh, you can still do that. I can still do that now with ADSB, but um, I just haven't gotten around to it. In part, knowing that anybody can pick that up, so why bother? Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, well, all right. Well, well a complicating ahead, a complicating factor here is that uh, if I can control my uh, my uh, ADSB out system. To where I become anonymous, uh, it shouldn't allow me to become invisible right. on the air traffic displays on other ADSB in screens and on the FAA's radar screens. Uh, it, you know, it's kind of uh, kind of a fine line here. We we don't want to be publicly visible necessarily, but we want to be publicly visible to other aircraft for collision avoidance purposes. And there's some technology challenges, I think, at work there that are one of the reasons why this is still a debate. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, I'm sure we'll come back to this. Let's I'm see. Shocked. I'd be shocked by that. Yeah, right. Uh, this next item on the list, uh, Jeb, I know you put this on the list, but I kind of want to. So, David, I know that um, you have a, the whole subject of the wasps yeah, yeah. Um, is very close <laughs> to your heart, David. Um, and I know that you've interviewed a lot of these uh, these uh, awesome women um, at uh, Sun and Fun in particular. Um, do, do you know? Do you recall, David, whether Dorothy Olson was one of the people that you've interviewed over the years? The name rings a bell, but over the years that we've done this, there's three or four that were perennials, mm-hmm. uh, and others that were one shots. They came once, they never came back, or they they weren't at the show. Uh, and so I do not know, uh, maybe if I looked at a picture, well, it depends on what picture they put on it. Yeah. Well, the picture in the, in the article here shows her standing back in the day on a, yeah, on I was going to say like a lightning. Um, and, uh, yeah, she's standing on the, uh, standing on the, uh, inboard wing stub on the port side of a P-38. Yeah. And, you know uh, what? I don't think this was one of our Sun and Fun um, women because she died at 103. We've had some some um, pretty mature women on the deck there, but I don't think any of them were 100 plus, were they? Well, I know some of them were in their 90s. Uh, that's for sure. I mean, they're all in their 90s. they got to be in their 90s yeah. for yeah. have been World War II veterans of any sort. But uh, Anyway, a sad note, uh, now that 
And she had put this one there. So 37 remaining surviving wasps. That's now. that's according to the post story that uh, the link yeah. takes you to. Yeah, and it was out of a little over 1,100 yeah. originally. Yeah, it's that's true across the board of all World War II veterans. The the population of of surviving World War II veterans is dwindling quickly. But uh, anyways, Dorothy Olson was a wasp, and she passed away at age 103. Um, and uh, you know, our, our our condolences to her family and friends, and uh, our thanks to her for her her service. Well, um, you, th- you think about it, we're 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 losing World War one. I mean, World War Two veterans at at, at at a high rate today, yeah. and we're not too far away from the day coming when the news story will be that the last surviving veteran of World War Two has passed away. Yep. Yep. And, Sad but uh, true. And, and true. there'll be a whole generation of people who go, World War Two. Well, yeah. Okay. Off field landing of the week. There's two of them here. Uh, <laughs> let's see now. A lot of this is just a function. Of, a, a bunch of listeners. First one, um, airplane landing oh, yeah. on highway. Yeah. Um, is kind of dramatic. Uh, a number of people uh, uh, called this one to uh, my attention. Anyways, um, apparently this is a, a police cruiser dash cam um and uh, when when the video starts uh we see uh, an aircraft uh, approaching <laughs> sort of in the oncoming traffic lane quite frankly still in flight still in the air um and uh, and passes by the uh the the camera car um which apparently someone grabbed the camera and turned it around to catch it in the going in the opposite direction when it actually touched down on the highway um, the touchdown looked a little, little rough. A to little me. wonky, yeah. But then there's footage later on that shows it. It almost looked like the gear collapsed or something like that. But then I think there's a video or an image or something like that um, uh, that shows it on the highway, on the street, on its wheels. So yeah. I don't know exactly what that's all. I about think you just got a little caterwampus, and it could have been a yeah. crosswind that, and all these buildings and everything. Who yeah. knows? But and trying uh, to miss cars, and trying and, to miss uh, cars, and. And really wondering if he's if he can pull this off. Yeah, um, I'm reading here from uh, the. Well, this is from the uh, UK. Is, where did this happen? This, this is in, in Seattle. US. Uh, uh, it's, it's it was Washington uh, State. Yeah, yeah. just Washington south of State. Seattle, according to this. In any event, this story I'm reading is from uh, uh, the uh, Daily Mail. Uh, let's see, what's it called? DailyMail.co.uk, <laughs> which is a, a, a United Kingdom um, news outlet. Uh, this dramatic moment of plane battling with engine failure was forced to make an emergency landing on a Washington highway. Nail-biting footage caught on a driver's dash cam shows the small plane coming in to land on Pacific Avenue South. Nail-biting. Nail-biting, I know, huh? Yeah. Um, and uh, the pilot of the KR-2 single propeller plane, which I'm assuming means single, well, yeah, single engine, single propeller plane, it's, has been praised for successfully executing the tricky landing, guiding the plane around the traffic to touch down on the busy road. What's a KR-2? It's a home built. KR-2 was a pretty popular uh, experimental amateur built years ago. That's uh, composite. That what, okay. That's what this is, yeah. Okay, a KR-2. I, it's the pictures. I'm, I don't see a side view of it. It's well, there is in the one of these videos where... The the cop the pilot and the cop are pushing it off to the side. Oh, I didn't see that. There one. is okay. 
Yeah. Oh, I'm seeing it now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Now it's now I got it. There we go. Can't oh, read shoot. the end number, but no, I push to play, and that's everything's gone all the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just... Anyways, congratulations to is the pilot's name here? I don't see the pilot's name here. No, here it is. The pilot, David Acklam. Um, and uh, congratulations to David Acklam for. Uh oh, hang on. I don't know if you hear that, but I do. And Sorry. and if anybody's interested in this design. Uh, you can still get uh, plans and such from uh, Wix, it looks like. Oh, really? Okay, well, there you go. You can build one. It's obviously a very durable airplane. Yeah, th- this this is a design that goes back to those days when the kits were basically a box of raw materials. Right. Uh, it's And given that, it's a, it's a very attractive-looking airplane. It doesn't... I at first glance I wouldn't have called it a home built. It looks like a factory airplane. It's uh, interesting lines and you know whatever. So congratulations to that pilot David Acklam for getting the airplane on the ground safely. Any landing you can walk away from. There you go. There you go. Any, any landing you can get a cop to help you push the airplane off to the side. <laughs> <laughs> and this other off-field landing, um, a little bit more dramatic. Uh, and uh, once again, we have video um, that shows a. Uh, this is from the uh, what is this? A, a website called heavy.com, and so we're going to take this whole thing with a grain of salt here. Now, the but, video is legit. I don't know why I, I posted this particular Yeah, well, it just it happens to contain. The video appears to be a, from Twitter, oh, from WMAR2 News, which is a, presumably a, 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 a TV station um, near where this happened. Anyways, it shows this airplane, which is, looks like a, a, a Skyhawk kind of-ish airplane. It's a 172RG. Uh, it is, okay. And... Uh, and it comes down and lands in the water just offshore from a beach. Um, this and, is Ocean uh, City, New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, kind of comes or, in or and Ocean touches City, down. Maryland. I'm sorry. Yeah. Comes in and, and touches down uh, relatively, I mean, very under control, it looks to me. Um, and then uh, as it, as it kind of makes contact with the water, it noses in a little bit and stops kind of suddenly, but stays upright um, and kind of... At the end of the video, we see it floating somewhat askew, but floating. Um, On that point of staying upright, i got to give the pilot kudos because yeah. that's hard to do with a right. fixed gear airplane. Right. Yeah, now that's what they always say, that, that the gear might well flip you over. It didn't in this case. Um, it didn't because it was retracted. Uh, was it? So 172 RG, yes. I, hear, I get that part, but now, now look I'm going to look, look, look at the video again. I'm going to look at the video uh, Oh, I think you're right, Jeb. Okay, I stand corrected. It does look like the gear is retracted. All right. In any event, good job. Um, let's see if the pilot's name is here. Uh, I got the name of the viewer who shot Trevor the Deal. There it is. Trevor Deal. Took off from Reedville, Virginia. Planned to li- li- land at Ocean City Airport. Engine problems. Glad- the, one of the things I found about this wasn't there just recently some stories about the idea that you, if you're in this kind of a situation landing in the water is definitely a better choice than landing on the sand um, apparently even if the sand is abs you know is is clear of people um, they say that landing on a sandy beach is is a pretty problematic thing do you have you guys seen any of these stories or what yeah, do you think? I'm not sure I agree with I, that. I'm not sure I agree with that either, but I but I haven't seen the stories you're talking about. I think if you're landing in the soft sand, the non-tidal sand, right. probably not a good idea. Right. You're going to slow down very quickly once the wheels touch, and they may grab and you may flip. Right. Uh, if you're landing on the hard, wet sand, uh, I think you're going to be a lot better off. Um, but I've never done it before, so I'm yeah. just... 
throwing stuff out there. The uh, and the and the the rule of thumb, if you will, that I always heard was that you can tell which is the firm sand from the soft sand by its color. Um, and the story I saw, I'm going to have to try and dig it out, and I, I'm not going to try now, but um, it was that that's a little harder to do than you might think, um, and that, that finding the firm sand is not as, as it's, straightforward. It's just to the right of the water. Yeah, I okay. know, really. It's, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, ah, it's not that hard. I guess, I guess. But right, well, you, the, uh, the, the trick, I think, is, you know, your worst nightmare is going to be, you know, one main wheel on the sand, the other main wheel in the water, and you're gonna, um, you're not going to retain control throughout the landing roll like that. Okay. Yeah. So, All right. Well, uh, you know, ditching, ditching. I would have ditched a little bit closer in. That, yeah, that looks like a healthy swim. Uh, uh, yeah, he might have been concern, concerned about swimming. He, he might have been, and and more power to him. And but I, I'm not critiquing when I say any of that. Right. Uh, he pulled this off, and he gets to, to. He probably can't use the airplane again, but he gets to do it again sometime soon. Right. Yeah. So, anyways, congratulations. I guess that to- would be any landing you can swim away from. <laughs> swim away from. Yeah. <laughs> congratulations to pilot Trevor Deal for uh, getting the airplane on the ground, so to speak, so to speak. safely. Safely. Uh, what else we got here? You want to go to the now. beach? You want to go to the beach? You're in a hurry. Hey, you yeah, know. I know, really. We were, yeah, that's right. We were just trying to avoid parking problems. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways. <laughs> uh, Jeb, what fresh hell is this? Oh, what uh, fresh hell is this? Is right. Uh, this troubles you. I. Uh, no, it's just, it's just blowing snow. Um, what are we talking about? We're here? talking about um, the Department of, of uh, Homeland Security has issued a notice let me read the um, let me read the exact uh, this is an ICS alert I don't know what an ICS alert is um, but it comes from the Department of Homeland Security cyber infrastructure uh, security agency or something I don't know CISA CISA um, and it talks about the the um, there's such a thing called the CAN bus, C-A-N in caps, bus. Yeah, CAN bus. Network. Um, it um, is an older spec. Um, I don't, David, you might know more about this than me, but um, I'm not aware of the CAN bus being used in modern avionics, in, in new avionics these days. The, the, the bus that is, or the, the communications protocol that is more commonly used in aircraft these days is the airing 429 protocol. And that's not discussed in this, right. This particular notice, but there's this, there's this thing called CAN bus and it exists across platforms. It's not just an aircraft or an aviation, uh, right. <clears throat> network. They do it in protocol. cars. Right? They do it in cars. I probably right. do it in trains. Um, I don't, I don't know. I'm not an expert on that. Uh, but I am an expert on blowing snow, <laughs> and, <laughs> so, and and uh, I see it throughout this. Basically, a uh, a uh, consultant uh, uh, consulting a company, um, the name of which escapes me, but it's in this other story. Uh, Rapid Seven is the name of it, a cybersecurity firm, as it's described in this uh, this news story. Um, found that an attacker could potentially disrupt electronic messages transmitted across a small plane's network 
for example, by attaching a small device to its wiring that would affect aircraft systems. Um, it goes on to note that um, a, a bad guy could gain access to this network through the engine compartment. Right. And I, I just scratch my head on a lot of this. There's no real qualification as to what constitutes a small airplane. There's no real um, discussion here about um, the, the uh, number of aircraft that have the uh, CAN bus uh, um, protocol installed. Um, there's also no discussion of remedial actions that a, a pilot or a crew could take, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's just pure scare tactics. It's pure yeah. blowing snow, and uh, it's it's a big big disservice, I think, to aviation security uh, as it applies to um, non commercial operations. Yeah, that was kind of my reaction too. I think you know when I first saw the headline, I was thinking, okay, is there some? Because I know in the in the automobile industry, there's a lot of concern about hackers getting wireless access sure. to vehicles. Um, and that seems to be a genuine um, concern. Um, and, I, and I'm thinking, okay, is now this happening for airplanes too? And, and I suppose it maybe it is, but that's not what this is talking that's about. That's not what this is talking this about. This is talking about hackers who gain physical access to the airplane, all right? And, yeah, that's a risk. There's no question about it. But the, anybody who wanted to, anyone who wanted to have wreak havoc with your airplane, you know, if they get physical access to it, they've been able to do damage for 20 years, 50 years, oh, you know. Oh, you know, ever since, you know, the second, yeah. ever since the second airplane was, was uh, Right. Built, if yeah. anybody wants to do you harm by way of your airplane, you know, if they can get access to your airplane, they can go in and, I don't know what, you know, slice the oil line or, you know, whatever, right? There's any number of things they can do. It doesn't need to be cyber related you know um, that's i always you know every time i do the, <clears throat> the controls free and correct uh, phase of the pre-takeoff checklist i just want to make sure someone hasn't come out here and re-rigged my controls well, for me kind of yeah. yeah i mean you know i mean you know so uh, so i don't know to that extent this is kind of you're right scare tactics um but it is kind of a concern i guess well um, it is and it isn't um i did a story yeah. <laughs> a couple of years ago for for uh AEA and, and uh, um, um, I'm basically talking about is Wi-Fi on aircraft a security hazard? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I to, bet it. You go ahead. To what the story to, to the extent that I could get comment from um, avionics manufacturers on this topic, uh, they all basically said that the aircraft with which we're concerned. Um, do in fact have Wi-Fi capabilities, but that <clears throat> capability is basically air-gapped from the flight control system in the sense that the, the Wi-Fi capabilities are concentrated solely and strictly to the in-flight entertainment system. Now, you could get, you know, someone hack your IFE and you, you wanted to play Bambi and you get deep throat. But um, that's not a safety of flight problem. No. But doesn't your... So in your airplane, you use an iPad to... Mm -hmm. Well, you run ForeFlight on your iPad, but mm -hmm. do you also connect to your instrumentation in with that iPad? No. Maybe maybe through ForeFlight? Does ForeFlight talk to any of your devices? Yes. It, it, well, let me, let me 
ForeFlight does not talk to my devices. My ADS-B out equipment does talk to some devices. Right. Um, it talks to the 530, for example, to, to display traffic. By wire or by wireless? By, by wire. Okay. Now, my installation also includes a Wi-Fi dongle that is attached to, uh, this is a, the L3 uh, NGT9000 transponder, um, um, uh, MODES slash uh, ADSB out slash uh, uh, 1090ES uh, transponder. And um, that device sends traffic information to the 530. It sends traffic and weather out over the Wi-Fi. Yes, you could log into that Wi-Fi network. And yes, you could try to do some packet sniffing and hack into it. Um, it's not connected to, quote, the flight control system, which is a system of uh, a mechanical system as opposed to a, a digital or electronic system. Um, anytime that I think that there's a problem that, you know, uh, uh, somebody's hacked my uh, my airplane. All I got to do is push off the autopilot, uh, turn off the autopilot, and any electronic or any uh, electric uh, um, input to my flight control system is thereby disconnected. Th this we're talking a little bit of apples and oranges here, in that um, you know, apples, oranges, and apricots, in yeah. that. Um, the basic small plane that you and I and our listeners are familiar with uh, does not have that kind of a flight control system, does not have that kind of uh, uh, avionics, does not have a bus of any kind in it, sure. much less a CAN bus, much less an Airing 429. Sure. Um, older aircraft that may have a CAN bus probably don't use it for uh, flight control or, or um, uh, anything like that. It might be an IFE thing only. Uh, but the number of aircraft flying around out there with CAN buses is, is, is infinitesimally small sure. in, in that it's a, an outdated uh, protocol. Air Inc. 429 has a lot of security protocols in it. Yeah. I guess the scenario, though, that, that concerns me, and I think this is a real, real long shot off the wall scenario, but but greater than zero, and that is not that, that a hacker could get access to your flight controls directly. They get access to your flight controls indirectly by making your nav systems lie to you, especially if you're like flying on instruments in IMC. Um, and that's that's a scenario that I think might be worth some concern, but uh, it's kind of a long Die Hard anyway. 2. Yeah, well, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Don't remember that movie, but I. It's the I one where, I see where you're they, going. The, the guys take over Dulles Airport and and adjust the ILS so that a plane flies into the ground. That's kind of the scenario that I'm thinking. Yeah, you know, it's like if somebody really wanted to hurt you, uh, you know, they could make your nav system lie to you so that you flew to a dangerous spot instead of a safe spot. Anyways, good luck. With I'm that. not sure. I'm not sure the CAN bus is a best way to mess with somebody's navigation exactly. system yeah so uh, anyways yeah. all right well you yeah. know yeah. first off anything's possible yeah. if if you invest the resources um um yeah yeah david david let david weigh in on this yeah well can can bus let's define what we're talking about it's a controller area network system that's used to connect in airplanes, at least, different parts of electronic instrumentation systems. 
Like you, you use a CAN bus to connect your primary flight display to the multifunction display uh, and to uh, possibly a, a flight controller like an autopilot. Uh, and they kind of daisy chain, and it varies with the system. Uh, CAN buses are really common in experimental avionics. But I'm not sure anybody in their right mind would put it on the firewall side <laughs> of, of an aircraft and subject this electronic device to the heat and vibration that's over there. Uh, I'd put it on the avionics shelf in my airplane, mm -hmm. uh, far, far away from all that heat. Doesn't mean it wouldn't be accessible. But it sure wouldn't be a matter of just popping open the cowl to get at it. Right. Uh, Although, as we know, most airplanes, the doors don't lock all that securely anyways, right? I mean, I don't know. Anyways. Yeah, the uh, flight control-wise, unless the, the, the saboteur has found a way to make your autopilot do the opposite of what it's supposed to, uh, the solution to a problem there is going to be to turn off the autopilot because <laughs> right, right. our flight controls are not fly-by-wire. They're mechanical. No, I, yeah, that's what we were just saying. Push rods, so, yeah. cables, right. pulleys. Uh, not something I'd lose sleep over. And if you really are worried about it, put some uh, security tape where you'd have to access the CAN bus and make it part of your pre-flight. Yeah, well, security a tape idea. could be something as simple idea. as a hair wetted on both ends and and <laughs> stuck yeah, okay. to the skin. Oh yeah, where, okay. Where there's yeah. an access opening. If the hair is gone, check and see what happened behind that access point. Okay. All right. Moving on. Moving on. Moving on. So anyways, reaching the end. Thank you, DHS. Yeah, I know. Well, that's what they're there for. Right. Um, so, uh, uh, reaching the end of our allotted time here, I, I just wanted to call attention to one thing here. So, this is Patrio, Patri, oh, I'm sorry, I can't, Patrio, someone help me. How do you pronounce this French word? The French um, um, performance <laughs> I, I'm team. I'm Patrio, man. Say it, David? I'm taking Patrio de France. Patrio de France. Okay. Um, so, apparently, one of their uh, aircraft had a problem, and the uh, pilot ejected. Um, the part of this that, and I'm glad, and apparently the pilot's fine, and that's good. Uh, that's, but the part of it that I find notable, all right, is the picture that goes with this story, all right. The pilot ejected, and yet the airplane is sitting here on the ground, more or less in one piece, all right. I, and I've seen, haven't we seen this before? I'm pretty sure we've seen this before with with fighter jet, fighter-ish jet aircraft that. The pilot ejected, and then the airplane's like in the middle of the desert, just sitting there. I, I there was there mind. was a, I think it was an F one hundred two Delta Dart that developed issues somewhere in the southwest back in the fifties sixties. A uh, pilot decided it was time to leave, and punched out, and the airplane continued on, landed in one piece, gear up, and on a farm somewhere. Yeah, and and uh, the farmer. Um, came out, sheriff came out, and they really couldn't do anything until it ran out of fuel and the engine. Oh, right, because the engine was running. The engine yeah, was right. still running. Yeah, I, I just this just boggles my mind that these 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 aircraft managed to basically land, you know, not only with nobody in them, but after the shock of the ejection seat, that's got to like 
you know, I mean, well, maybe they're on automatic pilot. And that's just, a little bit less weight now. And, you know, the weight's a little different than it was, yeah, okay. you know. And, you know, I, I tell people this all the time when they're trying to over control the airplane or, or don't understand how this, this, this aviation thing works. So the airplane knows how to fly. My job is to just let it. Yeah, except that it was apparently in rough enough shape that the pilot ejected, yet then it went on to land itself. You know, I don't know. It's just weird. It puzzles well, it me. Well, it says something about the aircraft's dynamic yeah. stability. I, yes. I, no, I get that. I, but, you know, it, 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 I don't know. What, what is this story? Why did he eject here? Wait, it doesn't what is say. This story? It doesn't say. He just decided to eject it from an airplane that apparently was in pretty good shape. Something went wrong, is what it says. Yeah. Anyways, any eject, any ejection you can walk away from. <laughs> well, okay, all right, okay. Uh, we obviously know nothing about this, so uh, I'm just gonna stop it right there. Yeah. And, was, well, well, the, the the ejection itself shouldn't have much of an impact on the aircraft because you know Martin Bakers today use rockets. Yeah, uh, but the, the rocket's gonna kick the airplane somehow, some way. Just, isn't it? just, just very briefly. The okay. biggest change on the aircraft is going to be is aerodynamics from not having a not having a canopy, a canopy anymore. You know, and the weight will have changed, and the you know, so although the well, weight's probably on the on the CG, but it's it's losing a few hundred pounds, and the canopy's gone. Yeah. So, uh, all right, but, listeners, tell us what's going on here. I don't understand this. Who and, knows? Maybe the maybe the FMS stabilized the airplane after a guy ejected and. And it just flew itself into the ground. Because yeah, no, I mean, apparently that's what happened, but it kind of suggests that maybe he didn't need to eject in the first place. I not the first time. Yeah, anyways. Okay, all right, that's it. It's time. But shout-outs, what do we got here? Anything anybody want to talk about or are we done? I don't even know. I gotta. You guys talk while I find what I need to find. Okay, I'm going to send you all a link. Um, Uh-oh. This that's is to the... Okay, shout out for me. Yeah, go Nation, ahead, David. National Aviation Day is coming up on August nineteenth. That's a uh, what a, a week eleven, from Monday. 11 days. Yeah, and uh, some of the names that are going to be celebrated during National Aviation Day are a guy named Leroy Grumman and Leonard Green, uh, two National Inventors Hall of Fame inductees who uh, contributed greatly to our success in World War II. Uh, for example, in 1943, Grumman was the Navy's top aircraft supplier, producing the most military aircraft ever built in one plant in a single month. Uh, he invented the uh, folding wing mechanism that you see on the th airplanes like the uh, the uh, Corsair, uh, and other carrier-based aircraft. Then uh, Green invented a device that warns pilots when a deadly aerodynamic stall is imminent. I like Ooh. the way they put that. Deadly <laughs> aerodynamic stall. Push the stick down. It quits stalling. Uh, but a stall warning system. Paging Boeing. Boeing, please answer that. <laughs> <laughs> please pick up the white courtesy phone nearest you for a message. And, David, uh, yeah, David? Well, this is aviation-related, but uh, the uh, National Inventors Hall of Fame is going to be uh, celebrating the induction of, or inductees, George Eastman, Edward, Edwin Herbert Land, and Steve Sasson. 
George Eastman was the brain behind the handheld Kodak camera of 1888. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edwin Herbert Land is famous for his Polaroid camera. The Polaroid guy, yeah. And Steve Sesson, every one of us with a camera in our cell phone, a digital camera in our bag, owes one to this guy because he's the fellow that invented, while he was at Eastman Kodak in 75, uh, the first working digital camera. So there you go. Cool. Sounds cool. Yeah. Um, I've got one shout out here. Um, so this is, uh, we're recording this on Thursday morning, the 8th. Um, and depending on when you listen to this episode, uh, when you hear this episode, uh, not this Saturday, but a week from Saturday on August 17th, uh, we're going to hold, we haven't in a long time, but we're going to have a UCAP meetup up here in, uh, in Nashville, New Hampshire. Who, who is this we you keep speaking of? Well, me and, and uh, some, so, well, Jeff Ward, for okay. example, okay. all right, uh, and, uh, and a handful of uh, regular listeners and people that uh, have gotten to these things in the past. I've already kind of surveyed a few folks, and so I know we're going to have at least probably half dozen or so people there. Um, but I'm just spreading the word. Um, if you're uh, in the southern New Hampshire area and, uh, and, and want to <laughs> join us for breakfast, yeah. We're going to have breakfast up here at uh, at Nashua Airport in uh, southern New Hampshire. Nashua Airport, um, uh, Alpha Sierra Hotel, uh, at the uh, Midfield Cafe, which is a very nice uh, uh, restaurant right there on the field overlooking, on the second level overlooking the ramp. Are you going to be cooking? Uh, no, no. Believe me, that's for the best. Um, and uh, but at 10 a.m. on uh, on Saturday morning, August 17th. Um, I and, and a few friends will be there, and I hope you, if you're interested, you should join us and, and come and have some, uh, some breakfast and, uh, and, and conversation about uh, airplanes. Uh, so that's next Saturday, uh, if you hear this in time. And I, just real quickly, I was wrong. It was not an F-102. It was in a 106. Okay. Uh, that is the, the quote, cornfield bomber, unquote. Uh, made an unpiloted landing in a farmer's field in Montana. There's a Wikipedia page. The link's in the, in the show notes. Sounds good. Jeb, do you have a shout-out or are we done? I do. A uh, couple real quickly. Um, yeah. Nice little note that we'll put into the, uh, the show notes also that um, um, American Airlines is retiring its MD-80 fleet, uh, Mad Dogs or Two Holders or whatever, whatever you want to call them. Um, and... Uh, Someone at AA Public Affairs decided that they would write a farewell note from the airplane itself, and uh, it's kind of cute. It's 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 an interesting take on on uh, on uh, the uh, the idea of retiring from an airline. Um, and what was the other thing? Oh, um, Freeway Airport outside Washington D.C. Just to the yeah, east. Yeah, this was cool. Yeah. Um, Sad, but cool. Uh, yeah, private airport, uh, been around for eons. Um, the guy who ran it, slash, I understand, owned it, um, passed recently. Uh, Stan Rodenhauser, it was his name. Uh, he apparently, I never knew him. I never really uh, hung out at Freeway back in the day. So all of this was kind of new to me. But uh, apparently, uh, Mr. Rodenhauser was a long-term, long-time fixture uh, at the airport, was well-loved and well-liked, trained a bunch of people, um, just a very successful GA flight instructor, uh, um, airport operator kind of guy. Um, the uh, people he left behind got together and put together a video. 
uh, and it's very nicely done, and we'll put that in the show notes also. Yeah. Yeah, that was a sweet video. Yeah. And, uh, and even without the video, it was a sweet moment. Yeah. They, uh, they uh, did a, a multi-plane flyby um, overhead you know, kind of thing and uh, memorializing him and remembering him. And uh, apparently his... Uh, the uh, the hearse containing his uh, remains um, made a last trip down the right. runway, and right. uh, um, it, it looked like a, a sweet thing all around. And uh, sorry the guy is gone, but uh, it's nice that he was remembered this way and, by and, that. and left behind a lot, and as in the way of a legacies too. Yeah, so. absolutely, absolutely. All right, fork Ma- time. Maybe uh, in maybe in the the uh, uh, after show, I'll talk about my freeway experience. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good, good, good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Patreon Rewards members, uh, uh, get ready for that. Uh, that's Jeb Burnside. Thank you, Jeb. We appreciate it. It's always fun talking with Shazam. you. Shazam. a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Uh, you just finished one of those. What else you been Just finished on? one of those. Um, got a piece I'm working on for uh, AEA and Avionics News uh, for, uh, I have no clue which issue. Um, but other than that, I'm trying to pick up the pieces of being on the road at Oshkosh and, and having a deadline and, uh, uh, all the rain is keeping me from doing stuff outside. So, yeah. Uh, cool. And, but of course I'm sitting in here in my office talking to you guys. So <laughs> watching, waiting for it to rain, waiting for it to uh, rain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where can people find out about you and all this stuff on the internet? Well, aviation safety magazine.com is a great place to start. Um, uh, AEA.net for the AEA work. Uh, and David will uh, give that link again if you missed it. Um, let's see, where else? Uh, the Twitter machine, I'm uh, Burnside J. There we go. And Dave Higdon is a uh, aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. David, what have you been working on? Uh, recovering from uh, Air Ventures. 2019 and digging myself out of the hole that I was fortunate to get into from uh, the work that I brought back. Mm-hmm. Uh, stories for Avionics News, for Avbuyer Magazine, uh, and uh, uh, some future column materials uh, for uh, Avbuyer. And I'm just kind of going day to day, one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. And I, I hope to be out of this hole in time to go to Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you think about me? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I feel And people same. can find me at uh, Real Higdon on the Twitter machine, uh, com or avionics, uh, aea.net for avionics news. Uh, or throw a dart at the board and Google Dave Higdon in aviation and roll the dice. There you go. And I've lost my place here. I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Um, I've been... uh, you know, also catching up after after Oshkosh and uh, after my very busy season um, on the day job. Um, one thing that I've been working on lately that I'm hoping to continue with, and I've done a, f- I've actually published a few things or posted a few things about it. Um, I've started to kind of dig through um, the catalog of old UCAP episodes and uh, trying to uh, both flesh out the show notes so that it's a little bit easier for people to find stuff from from the old days, and also to uh, highlight um, um, some some key moments, some fun things. Um, I just posted one the other day. Um, if you look at our Twitter, if you look at the uh, UCAP, which is to say Class G Airspace Twitter, um, I, I posted a, a, a link to a bit of audio from the 
I think it was the, the second time we were at Sun and Fun doing an episode, um, which was actually the first time that we had the now legendary waffles that they serve there. Um, and, uh, and we discovered in that moment, I won't give away the punchline here, but we discovered in that moment um, that there's a, a, an interesting uh, story behind the Sun and Fun waffles. Um, and that's all I'll yeah, say about that. That's definitely Foxtrot Mike territory. So anyways, but watch for more of that, I guess is my point. I'm trying to uh, come up with uh, some highlights and identify some things and, and, uh, and publicize them and maybe make them a little bit easier to access. Um, because and, and different ones please yeah that's right um there's a lot of fun stuff that we've done over the years and uh, try and make it a little bit more accessible a little bit easier too and if you guys have any listeners if you have any memories about uh, old episodes things moments that you think um ought to be be kind of highlighted let me know send me an email um and uh, tell me which ones that you think are most fun uh, let's see now. You can find me online uh, in most of the usual places uh, using the username Jack Hodgson. That's my first and last name just kind of bumped together. For example, YouTube uh, slash Jack Hodgson, Twitter slash Jack Hodgson, Patreon slash Jack Hodgson. On Amazon, you can search for my Around the Field uh, ebooks in the book session section by, uh, by just searching for Around the Field. And you can sign up for my email newsletter at jackhodgson.com. David, is there something you wanted to tell us? The best way to live to see tomorrow and the next day and next Oshkosh and next Oshkosh, go flying because you've heard it before. Time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. We need to find some more cowbell. <laughs>